Good morning, everyone. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. Good to hear that. My name's Nick, um, as Lee mentioned. I help uh, facilitate our School of Kingdom ministry here, um, which is starting up here pretty soon. We're excited about that for a new year. Uh, I'm also uh, one of the house leaders at Westchester House Group, um, which House Group is our young adults organization. We meet at houses throughout the area. Um, so we have five different houses, and I help uh, out with the one in Westchester. So that's a lot of fun. Uh, if, if this is your first time or you haven't been here all summer, we're in a series um, about faith, about dynamic faith. And we've had a lot of different speakers, some amazing messages. I would really encourage you, if you missed any week this summer, to check out our podcast, um, which Lee mentioned. You can get that on the app. We had a couple who came uh, this past week and shared about some of their adventures, and it was very inspiring. Um, They're not on the podcast for their safety. They're in some rougher areas, and so we didn't record that. But if you missed that week, I encourage you to talk to someone about it, um, and I'm sure they'd love to to talk to you about that and how inspiring it was. One thing I loved about their story was that they just, they went. God told them to go somewhere and they just went. They they were obedient. And it was dangerous. It, It wasn't always easy, but they did it. And it had so many rewards for them. And that leads into my message this morning because I want to talk about the wisdom of God. My message is called Faith to See and act on the wisdom of God. And the reason I have both of these components is I feel like there's like a balance that needs to be struck where if you only see the wisdom of God, but you never act on it, then that, that does nothing for you, right? You might know exactly what God wants for your life, but, but if fear is, is ruling your life and you're not stepping out, then you're not getting anywhere. On the other hand, if you're like, yes, send me, I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything, and you're just ready to act, but then you don't know what God is calling you to do or, or what his wisdom is, then you're also, not, you're also not going anywhere. And so I believe we need to, to find this balance between seeing God's wisdom and then acting in faith. So I'm going to have three keys to seeing God's wisdom and then three keys to acting on God's wisdom. Um, and there's going to be a lot of, of biblical passages this morning. So buckle up, get ready. Um, it's good to just, you know, get the word all over you sometimes. Just smear it on you and you'll leave smelling like it and uh, you'll, you'll start doing it. And uh, it's going to be good, but, um, but we'll be moving pretty fast. So most of the passages will be up on the screen um, and you can follow along uh, in your Bible or iPhone as well. Or Android phone. I want to throw that out there. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> So three keys to seeing God's wisdom. Um, The first key is know what it looks like. Okay, so anytime you're looking for something, it helps to know what it looks like. A couple days ago, I was hanging out with my friend Sanjay, and I was going to his house for the first time. Uh, So he sends me his address, put it into Google Maps, I'm going. And then we've all been there. You get on the street and you kind of start going awkwardly slow. You're looking at all the addresses. Like, I think it's on this side. And, uh, and you're squinting. And then eventually you get there and you're like, all right, there, there's his address. Um, I'm here. And so we hung out. And as I was leaving, I was like, well, next time I won't have to do that awkward look, try to find his, his address because I know what his house looks like now. I know, I know where he lives And so now when I'm going to his house, I'll just know, oh, this is it. 
And similarly, when we are trying to find the wisdom of God, once we see what it looks like, then when God is speaking things to us, we're like, oh, that sounds like God. That's something God would say. Or we hear a lie from the enemy and we're like, okay, this is not something that God would say. So I'm going to disregard that and speak against it. And God has amazing, amazing things that he wants to say to each and every person in this room. And I believe that that God is is giving us wisdom and ideas that are going to change Coleraine, Cincinnati, and are going to change nations. Because God loves speaking to you, um, and you guys are all empowered to to change people and to change nations. I truly believe that. Um, So in James 3.17, James writes that the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. So those things that he writes, those are just some things that wisdom looks like. He's teaching us, hey, if you have an idea from God, it should, it should have good fruit. If there's something in your life that, that you're implementing and then you realize, hey, I'm starting to feel like really selfish or I'm, I'm just starting to struggle with this certain sin, that might be worldly wisdom instead of godly wisdom because godly wisdom has good fruit. It's pure. It's peaceable. These are just some things to start learning what wisdom looks like. A great just kind of paradigm and and general um, structure to know what is wise and not is we have to be looking in the Bible. That's kind of like the big, like kind of obvious statement, but I want to say a few things about that because the word biblical, if something is biblical or not, sometimes people interpret that as can you find it on a page in the Bible? Like, then it's biblical. But what I want to say this morning is that biblical, it really means aligning with the principles in the Bible. It means aligning with the heart of God. God reveals himself through the Bible, but God is greater than his Bible. You know, and that can be a scandalous thing because the Bible is amazing and we never want to downplay how amazing it is. Um, but at the end of John, John writes that Jesus did, did way more things than we could ever even write down. He says if he wrote them down, the whole world might not be able to uh, hold the books that he would write. And so we know that Jesus did a lot of stuff that's not even in the Bible. And so if, if, we're, if we're restricting what is biblical to only what we can find, is that me or the Holy Spirit? Check, 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 check. Am I still on? Cool. All right. We're good. We're good. If, if you restrict what, what is possible to only what can be found on a page in a Bible, then you're missing out on, on so much of, of what God has. I've, I've heard uh, of people being healed um, through prayers over Skype. You know, it's like, where, where does that fit into our paradigm? Like someone praying, be healed in Jesus' name, person on the other end of Skype gets healing. You know, it's like, we definitely don't see that in the Bible. But what do we see? We see people being healed at a distance from Jesus. So it aligns with, with the principles in the Bible. If, if that kind of seems like too big of a subject, like the Bible is huge, I would encourage you to focus on the life of Jesus. That's a great way to start. Um, we have a, a celebration service for our young adults once a month. And uh, my friends Phil and Amanda spoke at this past one. 
And they spoke about how Jesus is, is the full revelation of God, the full manifestation of God. So when we look at Jesus, we see God. If you want to know uh, godly wisdom for your life, I encourage you to look at the life of Jesus. Say, okay, how is this aligning with, with what Jesus did and said and taught on? Another thing I would encourage is, is looking at the letters in the New Testament. That's a great um, place to start looking for godly wisdom. Because so much happened at the cross when, when Jesus died. And a lot of things changed. And we entered into a new covenant with God at the cross so we live after the cross, and the letters in the New Testament were also written after the cross. So it's a great place just to see wisdom that applies to our lives. Um, I wanted to say something about context when, we, when we're looking at the letters in the New Testament. Context is realizing that these letters were written at a certain time to a certain group of people or a place, and we have to take that into account when we're... When we're drawing truths from them. And so that doesn't make them any less important. We can get so many truths from them, but we have to remember the context. And I, like, imagine today someone writing a letter. Um, let's say I'm struggling with something. And an example, just a funny example I like to think of, like, imagine I, I just really love just marking people's cars up, keying people's cars. You know, I just can't get enough of it. When I see that shiny surface, I just got to mark it up. If I'm struggling with that, someone might write me a letter. Let's say someone, um, a friend, uh, let's say Luke writes me a letter and says, Nick, this, this has got to stop. This is a terrible habit. Everyone, at, people are stopping uh, coming to VCNW because their cars are getting scratched up. You should not even carry keys in your pocket ever. He might say that, and imagine one of you guys picks up that letter and reads it. You should not carry keys in your pocket. You wouldn't apply that exactly to your life like that's written, would you? Because that's not, that's not something that you directly are struggling with. But what truth can you take from that letter? You can take the truth that if you struggle with some action or some sin in a certain context, you should not put yourself in that context where you might fall into sin. And so in a similar way, these letters were written uh, to a specific group of people, but we can still uh, glean so many truths from them and apply them to our lives. So we have to know what wisdom looks like. My second point is we have to seek it in faith. And this, this point is, is more what has to do with our whole series of, of dynamic faith. We have to seek wisdom and faith. And so if you want to open with me to James uh, chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 2 through 6. This is an example of a letter in the New Testament. James writes, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. So we see James, uh, he's talking about faith. And the context is he's talking about faith in trials. 
I think we can all relate to that, having to have faith in a certain trial. And so this letter was originally written in Greek. I don't know Greek. And so when I want to learn more about the meaning of a word, um, there's an amazing website called Blue Letter Bible. Um, If you guys are interested in doing any more research, write that down, Blue Letter Bible. Um, And so I looked up some of these words just to kind of see the bigger picture. A lot of times one Greek word will be translated many different ways depending on the context. And if you look at that original word, you can kind of gain more truths about what, what the writer James might have meant. And in verse 2 here, um, I looked up the word for trials. And another way to go about this word is, is the word proving. So imagine if difficult situations in your life, trials, were actually chances for you to prove the work that God has already done in your life. Van's been speaking about faith as something that we're hardwired for. When we enter into relationship with Jesus, it becomes our nature. It becomes who we are. Imagine if we thought of the difficult situations in our life as a chance to just show the enemy, look, I'm a son, I'm a daughter. This is already true. I don't need to strive for it. I don't need to work for it. But it's just, it's proving itself through this situation, through me moving forward in faith. I feel like that's just a, a positive way to look at trials we might go through. There may be something that God is calling you to go do that you're just, you're scared about. You're like, oh, I don't know about that one. And, and God's like, I already know you're going to succeed. And I've given you the tools that you need to succeed. In verse four, uh, you might be thrown off by the word, uh, maybe perfect and complete. And you might think, well, that can't be me. Perfect. I've disqualified myself. But these, these words, perfect and complete, are actually synonyms. Like they mean uh, being full, being whole. And once again, we already know that we are made whole through what Jesus did, the finished work on the cross. And so this isn't something that we have to strive for either. But in the kingdom, we can be full and we can keep getting fuller. There's always more of God. And so God says that as we, as we go through these these provings, these trials, it will have its perfect result in our life. So verse five, it moves on and says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And so this is a promise in the Bible that we have to hold on to. It's right there. Ask and it will be given to him. So we can ask God for wisdom and we know he is going to give it to us. It says he gives to all generously and without reproach. Reproach is like reprimanding, kind of like, or some making, you know, like God doesn't give us wisdom as some backhanded gesture, you know, with some sarcastic comment, like, yeah, you really did good last time I gave you wisdom, you know, like he, he gives it generously without reproach. It's his joy to give wisdom to us. As his children, he loves it. Verse 6 says, He must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Now this word doubting, I also looked up to try to find out, okay, what's, what's that? Because I've had doubts when I've asked for things, when I've asked for wisdom. Does that mean that that disqualifies me? And this word doubting has the, the context of 
withdrawing, even opposing. It's, it's like a, separation, a separating doubt. And so I believe the idea that he's trying to get to us in James is that when we press into God for wisdom and we don't withdraw, we don't, we don't run away from him in doubt, but we keep pressing on, that is when we see breakthrough. And this is all about relationship. God is, is always trying to bring us closer to himself in relationship. It's all about that. Asking for wisdom is about getting closer to Jesus so that he can whisper the things on his heart to you as a child of God. And he has that for everyone in this room. He has more intimacy. There's deeper levels to go. He's always drawing us closer. Van mentioned in one of his sermons, it was actually the first sermon of this series, that there was a man uh, in the Bible who had, who had some doubts when he went to Jesus. He needed healing for his son who was demon-possessed. And he said, Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. He was being real. He was like, I do have a little unbelief, Jesus, but I'm not going away. I'm coming to you and I'm asking. And that's what God wants. Will also gave a great message on uh, persevering faith. And he mentioned uh, that true faith is, it's about the action of getting closer to God, about persevering, not giving up when we don't see the results that we want. God is always trying to bring us closer to him. It would be very hard to give a message on wisdom without mentioning Solomon. Solomon uh, was arguably the, the wisest man in the Bible, um, and he wrote most of the book of Proverbs. So in Proverbs, Solomon says, uh, in, it's in Proverbs 2 where he says, seek for wisdom as for silver and cry out for understanding. So silver represents wealth. It, it represents something that, that we all value. You know, imagine if I, if I said there's a briefcase in here with a million dollars in it. You know, no one would be listening to my sermon anymore. You guys would be everywhere, behind the desk, up in the ceiling, under, you'd be searching everywhere for this briefcase because we desire that. Solomon says, seek for wisdom as for silver. And he didn't just write about this. He lived this out. My other main passage is, as comes from 1 Kings, which is the story of Solomon when he gets this wisdom. It wasn't always that way. He, he wasn't just born with this amazing wisdom, but he knew to seek it. In 1 Kings 3, um, I'll just read this account of Solomon's uh, encounter with God. It starts in verse 5. It says, In Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night, and God said, Ask what you wish me to give you. I'll skip to verse 7. Solomon's reply, Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. Yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen, a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, nor riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice. I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has been no one like you before you, 
nor shall one like you arise after you. My first thought about this passage, this is kind of a side note, is that this all happened while Solomon was asleep. I don't know if you, if you caught that, but I feel like this should all give us a desire to dream with God and to actually like pay attention when we have dreams. And I know that can kind of be like the thing that's like, oh, that's for the, the weird Christians. Uh, you know, they, all their dreams and everything and they're interpreting them. But th- Solomon, this request happens while Solomon is asleep. And then he wakes up and he has this wisdom. And so God, there's something about that. God truly values that. And God saw this as, as an actual request and an actual answer. And he honors that. But the main point of, is this. Solomon went to God with a humble heart and he knew to ask in faith. He just said, God, I really don't know what I'm doing. Honestly, there's people are great. I don't know how to rule them. You've put me over them. Just give me a discerning heart so I can judge fairly. And God says, okay, not only am I going to give you that, but I'm going to give you what you didn't ask for. I'm going to give you the riches, the glory, the power, everything that, that he wasn't even wanting. And it immediately reminded me of the passage in Matthew where Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all else will be added to you. And it's this assurance that we don't need to worry about it's the context of where we're going to sleep, what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear. We don't need to worry about that. God is our provider. When we seek the greater things, his righteousness and his kingdom, God takes care of that and he takes care of the things we didn't even ask for. So Solomon receives this just huge impartation of wisdom because he sought after it. I want to say something about this this chase for wisdom, this seeking of wisdom, because it's not just a wild goose chase. It's not something that God just brings us on um, and, you know, trails us on without ever providing what we're asking for. Uh, One of my favorite teachings on this is from Bill Johnson um, in the verse in Proverbs 25, where it says, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. So picture this, God is not hiding things from us. He's hiding things for us. And it's our glory to search out those things. God is a good father and he's hiding truths for us to find. And he's saying, come close to me. I want to, I want to feed you more. I want to give you more wisdom. Just come close. And the metaphor that Bill would always use is a parent hiding Easter eggs for their kids. Imagine a little kid, the parents hide an Easter egg on the coffee table or in the center of the ground. They're like, go look for it. And then they find it. And it's, it's a joyful occasion. But as the kid grows older, you start hiding it under things, on top of things. They have to go further because you know that they'll get more joy out of the pursuit. You know that they're capable of more. And so you make it harder for them to find it because you want them to search for it. And it's fun. So at, you may be at a point in your life where you're like, man, it's, it's hard to get wisdom. I, I just, I'm not getting any ideas. And God is just saying, come closer. He's a good father and he just wants you to be close to him. He wants you to come and seek out his wisdom. Find those Easter eggs. 
It's his joy when we find the wisdom that he wants to give us. So we have to seek it in faith. My third point is to be with God. And I feel like this is just kind of the foundation of it all. The more you're with God, the more you begin to think like him, the more you begin to act like him, and the more his wisdom starts to flow through you. We become like what we worship and what we've uh, set our eyes on. You know, this is true in just life in general. You start becoming like people you hang out with. And so the more we're with God, the more his wisdom begins to flow through us. One of my favorite instances of this happening is uh, through King David. And so I don't know if you guys mentioned or caught this in the passage, but David was Solomon's father. And David was a man after God's own heart. So we can see probably where Solomon got his desire for more. David was training him up um, to desire these good things. Now David, um, just a few chapters later in 1 Kings, 1 Kings 8, it talks about David in regards to the temple being built. So here's what happens. I'll just read it. Verse 16. This is uh, Solomon speaking God's words. Since the day that I brought my people Israel from Egypt, I did not choose a city out of all the tribes of Israel in which to build a house that my name might be there. But I chose David to be over my people Israel. Now it was in the heart of my father David, this is Solomon speaking again, to build a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. And so here, here's the significance of this passage. Sometimes God will say, I like this right here, do this. And he's very specific about it. In this case, God is like, I like David. David, what do you want to do? And it's in David's heart to build a temple for the Lord. And so God says, all right, that's going to happen because it's in your heart. So David was intimate with God. We see that through the Psalms that he wrote in his time being a shepherd. He had this intimate relationship with the Lord. And so instead of God saying, hey, this is going to happen, build the temple here. It's in David's heart to build it. And God says, yeah, that's going to happen. And the way it ended up um, going about, David, since he had uh, blood on his hands, he was a man of war. God was like, okay, you're actually not going to build the temple, but your son Solomon will. But it was David's idea originally. And so this idea of being close to God, I believe, is, is just so important. When we're intimate with God, pursuing him daily, in his word daily, we begin, it just begins to flow through us. It begins to be a lot more simple to see the wisdom of God. So we have to know what it looks like. We have to seek it in faith and we have to be with God. And so now three keys to acting in faith. So we've got the seeing, seeing in faith. I'm not going to spend as much time on this part because it's actually kind of a simpler thing, even if it might feel scary. You're like, oh, now I actually have to do it. What, you know, you feel like you know what God wants you to do. And you're like, now I got to do it. But mostly what stops us from pressing out in faith is just fear. And fear is, there's just no place for it in our lives. We shouldn't allow it. it it'll come up, it'll tempt us, but we should be working every day to just root out any fear that comes up in our lives. 
And so these three points are going to be three truths that you can declare over your life to help root out these fears that they're associated with. So the first one is everything will work out for my good. Everything will work out for my good. Let's just all say it together. Everything will work out for my good. Now this is linked to the fear of failure. The fear of failure has stopped so many new ideas from happening. It stopped so many new businesses from starting. So many new songs from being written. So many uh, just new things that people have been, have been striving for in their heart, but they just fear that it just might not work out the way they want to. And when we fully believe that everything will work out for my good, it opens us up to, to not caring about what may or may not happen, but pressing forward anyways. This comes from Romans 8.28, where Paul writes, We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And so if that's you, if if you're a person who loves God, if you're a a born-again Christian, you can fully believe everything is going to work out for my good. And you can declare that over yourself in the morning when, when you're in one of these trials or provings you can say, wait, everything is going to work out for my good. And it may be the hardest thing. You may not believe it now. You may not believe it even when you hear yourself say it. But this is a promise that we have to hold on to. A promise from the Bible. Everything will work out for my good. The second one is Jesus is enough. Let's say it all together. Jesus is enough. I'll say it again. Jesus is enough. This truth, by renewing your mind with this truth and getting it inside of you, this helps you overcome the fear of missing out. So this is a a fear um, that I've struggled with a lot of my life, wanting to do so many things and being scared that if I do this, I won't be able to do that. You know? This fear can be sneaky sometimes because it doesn't feel like fear. It might just feel like a lot of amazing opportunities are in your life. But what happens is when we are are just indecisive and don't choose anything because we're afraid that we might choose the wrong thing, then we're not being very useful for God. We're not going very many places. But if, if we can fully step out in faith, knowing that Jesus is enough, so even if I can't do this, I'm going to do this, because God's called me to it, and Jesus is enough, so I know I'm going to be all right. Because it is true when you say yes to something, it's a no to something else. So that is going to happen in your life. You are going to miss out on something. It's just a truth. Something you will not be able to do because you've chosen to do something else. But when you're so excited about the yes that you're giving to something else, all the other no's don't seem to affect you as much. This comes from uh, a verse to support this. Luke 12, 32 says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. So this goes back again to he gives without reproach. God loves to give us wisdom. He loves to give us divine strategies for things, solutions for things. And it's his joy to give us the kingdom. Paul also writes, That if God gave us his son already, 
Why would he not graciously give us all things? He made the biggest sacrifice already by giving us Jesus. And so why wouldn't he give us all things? Jesus is enough. If, if we fully believe that, then we won't fear that we might miss out on something because we know that it's God's glory to, to give us the kingdom. And he loves to do that. The last truth is that God will never disown me. Let's say that together. God will never disown me. This helps us overcome the fear of rejection. Now, the fear of rejection has stopped so many people from loving others. It stopped so many people from being vulnerable. It's made people put up so many walls around themselves. They don't feel comfortable sharing their lives with other people because maybe they've been hurt in the past and they are fearing that rejection now. Maybe some of you guys have experienced that, fearing that, oh, if I really show them my true self, I might get rejected. God will never, never disown you. And when you, when you declare that over your life, it helps you be fully alive. It helps you feel fully awakened in your relationships and how you deal with other people. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. God wants to give us rest. God was speaking to me about the fear of rejection in kind of a, a funny way. I used to work at Home Depot right here on Colerain and in the past, I've, I've just really not liked sales or anything that had to do with that. So I, I could do this. I was a cashier. I was like, all right, at least I don't have to sell anything. Um, but occasionally they would come and bring an item, item to my counter and say, hey, we got to get rid of all these before the end of the day. And so boom, I'm selling stuff now. And so one time I was trying to sell some, uh, these bags of lime, which you would put on your yard. And I really did not want to do it, but I would give this, this little pitch to every person who went through, hey, we've got some lime, it's really cheap, do you need any today? And most people were just like, no, no, no. And um, one guy, you know, just kind of really brushed me off, was just like, no. And I was like, man, this is why I really don't like sales. Um, and then the next guy comes up and I give the same pitch. Hey, we've got some lime, it's really cheap, do you need any? Um, and he's just like, no. And he starts paying and then he's like, you know, actually give me two bags. And I was just like, whoa, I love sales, you know? And uh, <laughs> I, did, I did the same thing as before. I gave the same pitch and this guy was just ready to receive it. And the sale was worth the rejection. And so the way God was speaking to me about it is like, if we're going out, if we're being Jesus to our community, if we're going out and praying for people, if we're sharing our faith, maybe with a family member or a coworker, the person who will say yes to you and who is ready to receive that, that is so worth getting rejected a hundred times before that. It is so worth it. So when we are fearing rejection, what we're actually doing is saying, I'm just going to shut myself off and not risk. And I'm also not going to reap the benefits of pushing past the awkwardness or pushing past that risk. Because 
If we're being honest, the only way to never get rejected in life is just to never love anyone. It's to never put yourself out there, never share with anyone, never give your heart to anyone because you might get rejected. But you're also not going to have influence in people's lives. You're also not going to see God work through you in amazing miracles. And you're also, that'll damage your relationship with Jesus as well. You're going to be trying to withdraw from him as well. That's not what God wants for any of us. He wants us to push past rejection. He wants us to be bold and to step out. That's what God has for us. And when we say this truth, God will never disown me. It just opens us up to being like, okay, even if this person rejects me, I know that when I, when I'm need a rest, when I'm tired, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We know he will do that for us because he's a good father. So everything will work out for my good. Jesus is enough and God will never disown me. Those are the three truths to acting. So we have seeing, seeing in faith, acting in faith. And when we put those together, it opens us up to what God wants to do through us. And God wants to change the world through people sitting in these seats right here. He wants to change coal rain through people sitting in these seats. And I'm going to wrap things up here if the worship band wants to start making their way out. But I just want to point to the fact that Jesus is the answer to every problem in the world. Every problem can find its answer in Jesus. And Jesus is in you if you have a relationship with him. So what I want to encourage you with this morning is that for the first part of this equation, seeing the wisdom of God, we got to look to Jesus and be with him. He's the answer to that. And then the other part of the equation, acting in faith, Jesus is the answer to that. The Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. And so when you have fear in your life, God is love. He is the answer to that. And I fully believe that as we begin declaring these things in our lives and we begin seeking him and we learn to recognize his wisdom, God is going to open up so many new things. He's going to give amazing ideas to you guys that are going to solve so many of the world's problems. And it's going to come through a body of believers who are stepping out in faith. So I'm going to invite Lee up here um, and we're just going to continue worshiping Jesus. Let's all say this together. Everything will work out for my good. Everything will work out for my good. Jesus is enough. God will never disown me. Yeah, Jesus, we just thank you that this is truth in our lives, Lord. We thank you for your wisdom that you're depositing right now in people's hearts, in people's minds. Father, I just pray that ideas for Uh, solutions that are plaguing our country. 
problems that are plaguing our country right now, that the solutions will be deposited into people's minds right now, that people will rise up um, and seek out this wisdom and then act on it, Father. We just pray for more bold faith to just sweep through here, Lord, and we just worship you today. We worship you, Jesus, because you're good. Amen. Well, guys, we're going to have some uh, ministry teams up here, prayer teams. If you need faith for anything, uh, if you need prayer for something uh, physical, emotional, anything, please come up and receive prayer. Um, We'd love to see you right after this at uh, the all-church picnic at Coring Park. If not, we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys.